If you have a copy of God's Word, please turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16, verse 5, down to verse 10. Last year, as you, many of you know, we've been, we were going through the book of Acts, taking some breaks along the way, and we will continue to go through the book of Acts this year. But before we do that, I wanted to sort of help us think about the year ahead, something to challenge us, something to encourage us, and I include myself as well. Next week, we may or may not turn back to the book of Acts. There have been a couple of things that sort of been burning on my heart, and I may or may not share those things with you. So what's coming next week is a surprise to you as it is to me. Matthew 16 Beginning in verse 5. When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves, saying, We brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you of little faith, why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that that you may continue to meet with us this morning as we seek to worship you through the word. As I seek to worship you through the preaching of the word and as your saints worship you through the receiving of the word. Lord, help us to receive your, your word as food, as bread, and that we might be sustained and strengthened by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic... I wanted to bring before you this morning is the topic of faith. And faith, as you know, is absolutely essential in the Christian life. I mean, there is no access to salvation apart from faith. The gospel itself is a gospel of faith. You cannot receive the gospel apart from faith, not our good works, not anything you do or did not do, not depending on anyone else, it is believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ that you receive the benefits of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Righteousness, justification, forgiveness of sins, eternal life with God, salvation from wrath and eternal judgment that our sins deserve. All of these things are received by faith. We come into Jesus Christ by faith. We hang on to Christ Jesus and we endure by faith. And what will ultimately get us to the end, to eternal life, to paradise, where faith will be turned to sight, is our faith. 
And so I want to actually encourage us in our faith to pursue a more vibrant faith, to pursue a growing faith. And to help us, here's kind of the the working definition that I'm thinking about as I'm working through the sermon. Faith, it's quite simple, quite simple. Faith is believing that the impossible can be made possible. Believing that the impossible can be made possible. I mean, you cannot be a Christian for very long if you do not believe that the impossible can be made possible. The entire storyline of Scripture is very much having to do with the impossible being made possible. Abraham and Sarah, beyond the years of having children, were still able to conceive and have children. The impossible made possible the people of God being able to walk on dry land as the Red Sea was parted on either side, the impossible made possible. The sun being able to be made to stand still in the midst of war, the impossible made possible. That the virgin can conceive and bear a son, the impossible made possible. That dead men can rise from the dead the impossible made possible. That sinners can be justified, reconciled to God. That's an impossibility made possible by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I have just one point with several sub-points. And really this is, I'm not quite sure how to say it. It's not really a command Maybe, maybe an expression of a desire or a will. But that point is, let it be done according to your faith. As you consider the year that's ahead, as you consider resolutions, if you make resolutions, whatever Bible reading plan you ascribe to, if you ascribe to a particular one, whatever desires, goals, ambitions you have this year, whatever impossible prayers you have in mind, those things that you are eagerly praying for that seem like an impossibility, let it be done according to your faith. I want to take us to the book of Acts because in the book of Acts we see the supernatural church. That's what the book of Acts is about. Not really a, it's not a, intended to be a review of what we've been through in the book of Acts last year. But I want to just highlight to the church in the book of Acts. And the church in the book of Acts is a supernatural church. And the supernaturalness, if you will, of the church is not unique to the first church. But it's something that characterizes the church from age to age. For several reasons. The church is supernatural because of its foundation. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 in it. Luke writes in the first book, O Theophilus, (coughs) excuse me, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. After the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it tells us here that Jesus remained for many days speaking to his apostles or teaching the apostles about the kingdom of God. And then and only then, as we read later on, just a few verses later in Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God. And then they were supposed to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit There is no church without the Holy Spirit, and it is the Holy Spirit that makes the church a supernatural church. And what reason is it supernatural? Because of its foundation. It's not founded in man, but it's founded in the gospel. It is founded in Christ. It is founded by the Holy Spirit of God that indwells believers as they come together to the worship of our great God. It is supernatural because of its acts. Very soon you see in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit descends and it fills the individual believers and they begin to speak in tongues, and there are other miraculous signs that you continue to read about in the book of Acts, and that quite personally, I don't believe that those particular miraculous acts are in continuation today, as in they should be expected on a regular basis in the life of the church. They still happen, and they still do happen, but not as a regular occurrence in the life of the church. But that's not even the main reason why this church is supernatural. It is really the regular, the regular normative acts of the church that make the church supernatural. It is the fellowship of the saints. It is the encouragement of the saints. It is the saints praying together. It is meeting the needs of the saints. That gives the church sort of its distinct flavor from the rest of the world grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is supernatural because it contains the key of salvation. In Acts chapter 2, Peter gets up and preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 2, verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. To the church was given the gospel of Jesus Christ, the very key of salvation. That's why the church is considered to be, as it says in Ephesians, the pillar and buttress of the truth. Lastly, the church is supernatural because of its union. Because they share a supernatural union with Christ Jesus. And through that supernatural union with Christ Jesus... The saints have a supernatural union with one another. So they're called the household of God. They're considered to be the family of God. It is why it says in Acts chapter 2 that the disciples or the people in the church devoted themselves to the same things, the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and the prayers. And that they're characterized by this oneness. They have one heart and mind. They sold their, pros, their, their belongings and took the money in order to be able to provide for the needs of the saints in the church. There's nothing ordinary about the church. It's supernatural. The power of the church comes from the Lord through the Spirit. But it is faith that grants access to that power. There is no entrance into the gospel without faith. There is no 
entrance into the household of faith, into the household of the church, without faith. Faith is the key to the treasure chest of heaven. The Spirit is the engine of the church, with each member of the church being the different parts, and faith is the fuel. The members of the church are the different parts of one body, the Spirit being the heart of the body that pumps the lifeblood throughout the rest of the body of the church. And it is by faith that we intake the nutrients and sustenance that we need. That is the worship, the prayer, the preaching of the word, memorization of the scriptures. All these things are nothing without faith. Faith is what activates these things. So with all that being said, considering the church being supernatural, considering that the church would not be supernatural apart from faith, And what drove the church to be what it was, as we read it in Acts, was this faith. I want to take us back to consider the passage that we read earlier in Matthew 16. Here, Jesus cautions his disciples, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They totally misunderstand what Jesus is talking about there. They realize, oh, we don't have any bread. How are we going to survive? Who's going to provide? How are we going to eat? They're thinking Jesus is talking about the physical bread. That's not what Jesus was talking about. However, it becomes a lesson for them and a lesson for us. He tells them, why are you of so little faith? Don't you remember? Provided for the thousands and how much bread, how much fish were left over after having provided for all of these people out of the little that we had, do you not remember? Why are you so of so little faith? Several times, Jesus in the Gospels says this to his followers or to his disciples. Sometimes I believe it's a rebuke or a correction. But sometimes I do think he means it very gently. Matthew 6.30, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says there, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? I think he means it there in the most gentlest manner. Speaking about basic provision, he goes on to say, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Prioritize the things that need to be prioritized. Worry about that first. Do not be anxious about all these other things. If you are, why are you of so little faith? Many of you know, a few months ago, we moved into a new house, and it came with all wonderful situations and and problems to the point where I became incredibly anxious day after day, even some nights losing sleep, because every little sound I heard made me think, is something wrong? Is this an indication, is this a sign that something bad is about to happen in this house? Is something else breaking down? And I do believe that it was a kind of trial of my faith in those moments. And in those moments, I think the Lord would have said to me, Oh, you of little faith, do not be anxious about such things. Matthew 8.26 
as the disciples were out in the ocean, on the boat, being storm-tossed, Jesus asleep on the boat, they finally wake him up. Jesus says to them, why are you afraid, oh, you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew 14, 28, another occasion when the disciples were out in the waters with the boat, and Jesus, in the middle of the night, walks towards them on the waters. And Peter answers him, Matthew 14, 28, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you in the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. Definition, trusting little. Why do you trust so little? Now, what does this have to do with growing faith? Growing faith, strengthening faith, vibrant faith. The disciples were scared. They were afraid. Peter became afraid and he began to sink in the waters as he was standing upon those very waters. Why were they afraid? Why did Peter begin to sink? It's not because the problem or situation wasn't real. It was real. It was a very dire situation. Any one of us would have been afraid if we began to sink in the waters. We don't want to be out in the waters, storm-tossed in the middle of the night in the dark water. I don't want to go out that way. It was a very real problem. It's not that the problem wasn't big. It was big. But what happened is that they became concerned over something that they shouldn't have been so concerned about. Not because they had any strength in themselves to save themselves, but because of the one who was with them. It's because they lost their focus and they made their situations greater than they should have. And as a result, Christ became smaller. It's like walking on a tightrope. Right, the person walking on a tightrope has to focus with each and every step. But if he's listening to the sounds of the birds, he's listening to this conversation over here, and he sees this really nice car driving by over there in the distance, the moment he begins to get distracted is the moment that he falls off the tightrope. He's lost his focus. We have a tendency to exaggerate our fears. And when we do, it makes God appear to be smaller. And when we make God to appear, to appear smaller, that we no longer believe that the impossible can be made possible. And in these moments, Jesus would say, why are you so little faith? Something that I fear for myself and something that I fear for you is having a domesticated kind of faith, a faith that is caged in. Have you ever been to a zoo and you've seen the animals there? 
Right? You might have seen a lion or a tiger, right? ferocious animal, right? fierce animal. You've read about them. You've probably seen videos about lions on the prowl hunting for their food. I've once asked myself, seeing a lion there in a cage, not knowing how long it's been in that cage, out in the distance, has it still got it? I mean, I'm not about to go in there to find out. But does it still have it? I mean, as it's there, the same location, for a long period of time, its food is provided for. It doesn't have to hunt anymore. It's given to him by the zookeepers. Still have it. That's what I think about. I think about a, a domesticated kind of faith or a caged faith. Sort of content. It's there. Everything is provided for. Everything is neat. Everything is tidy. It's comfortable. One of the persons that I admire most in the scriptures might be helpful to ask yourself this. Now, who do I admire most in the scriptures? With the exception of Jesus. You're not allowed to answer this, Jesus. But for me, it would be Abraham. When I think of somebody who doesn't have a domesticated kind of faith, <coughs> I think of Abraham, called out by God to go to a place that he does not know, to trust the Lord for years, for a promise that seems like gets delayed year after year, but still walking by that faith. It's because his faith was never caged. The Roman 4.18, commenting on his faith, says, in hope he believed against all hope that he should become the father of many nations. In the midst of impossibilities, he still hoped against all hope. are consequences to a domesticated kind of faith. And it's not the dying out. It's not that you cannot have, it's not that having little faith or trusting little will lead to having no faith at all. No, it's sin that kills faith. Sin is what kills faith. Sin is always withdrawing from the well of faith, or sin is like a crack in the foundation of that well where water is always coming out. It might be little by little, but over time it's being withdrawn and it's less and less and less. Sin is what kills faith. But the consequences of a domesticated kind of faith is that it, is a, becomes a, it can become a contented kind of faith. It's content where it is. It's content where it's at. I admire Abraham because of his faith. But if I'm honest, if I'm willing to admit, I want his faith without the trials. You ever found yourself thinking the same things or along those same lines? I want to learn this. I want this knowledge. I want this wisdom. I want this understanding, but not... Go about it the hard way. I want it to come easy. That's why the Lord brings 
trials and the testing of our faith into our lives because we would never willingly look for them ourselves. But a contented faith is the kind of faith that is comfortable where it's at. It might not be too little. It might not be too great either, but we're comfortable where we're at. Not looking, looking to do any more, not looking to do anything bold, anything daring. We're fine where it is. Another consequence of a domesticated kind of faith is that it mixes well with doubt. Like the disciples storm-tossed, or Peter out in the middle of the ocean feels the wind blowing against him. He becomes afraid, and then he has to be rescued by Jesus. And Jesus says, why are you afraid? Why did you doubt? Little faith oftentimes mixes well with doubt. We don't want our faith mixed with doubt. Another consequence is that it leads to a kind of faith that never takes risks. It's never daring. It's never bold. A domestic kind of faith is a kind of faith that has trouble believing against all hope. The circumstances are grave. The situations are enormous. And in those moments, you might have a hard time believing against all hope. There is this quote from C.S. Lewis that I came across like two and a half weeks ago, and it has stuck with me since then. C.S. Lewis says, I'm not sure, after all, whether one of the causes of our weak faith is not a secret wish that our faith should not be very strong. Is there some reservation in our minds, some fear of what it might be like if our religion became quite real? I hope not. God help us all and forgive us. Keep that in mind. We're going to return to what he's talking about in a moment. But I think it's helpful as we consider little faith, as we consider trusting little, or as we consider weak faith, the Scriptures have a category for this kind of faith, but the Scriptures also give us another helpful category that I'm quite sure many of you are aware of, but never have identified it as such, perhaps. Mark 9:17. Many of you are familiar with this passage in part because there's a prayer in here that you have probably prayed yourself. Mark 9:17 and someone from the crowd answered him teacher I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute and whenever it seizes him it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid so I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able and he answered them oh faithless generation how long am I to be with you how long am I to bear with you bring him to me and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. So the moment the boy is presented to Jesus, this spirit, this demon that fills the boy, immediately made the boy convulse. It was a reaction to the person that was standing in front of the boy, standing in front of divinity, standing in front of the Son of God, standing in front of the one who could do something about the situation. 
And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. In other words, for a long time. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water, intending to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. There's something here that the father does. As he engages with Jesus. Something, and this is, you can forgive him. Knowing what, if you know what he's doing here, you can forgive him because he doesn't quite know the person who's standing before him. Surely at this point he's heard of Jesus as a kind of miracle worker. That's why he comes to Jesus and brings his boy to him because he knows, well, if there's anybody that can do something about this, it has to be Jesus having heard about him. But he comes to Jesus and notice, he places a condition upon Jesus. Oh, if you knew, <laughs> if you knew, if you really knew who was there with you. He says, if you can, if you can, if, that's a condition. He brings his boy to Jesus, if you can. And how does Jesus respond? If you can, all things are possible with God. This is like being invited by a rich man to go into a department store. To have anything you wish. You pick out something you want and you go to the rich man and you say, if you can, I'd like this. The rich man will respond, if you can. Like, of course he can. He's got all the money in the world. He can do something about it. He can purchase it. It wouldn't, it's like a dime in the bucket. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. Now let's clarify this because we can easily take this into a direction that the scriptures do not intend us to take it. Jesus does not say, if you believe, all things are yours. It's not what he says. He's not saying, if you believe, you can have anything you want. He's saying, if you believe, all things are possible. If you believe, the impossible can be made possible. The man prays for Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. Though just moments ago I cautioned you about little faith and how it tends to mix well with doubt, know this. Jesus doesn't just doesn't cast you away. Jesus didn't cast away the man who believed but still had doubts in his heart. And you can perhaps understand why he might doubt. He's probably a man at his wit's end. He's given every other solution a try, and nothing has worked. Since childhood, something has been wrong with his son. If you and I had something, if our child had something wrong with them, we would do everything that we could to fix their situation. 
This man probably took his son to doctors and they couldn't do anything. Probably took his boy to the religious teachers to see if they could do anything and they could not do anything at all. Spent all the money that he could to try to figure out what was going on and find a solution and there was nothing that was going to fix his son. And so years of trying perhaps different things, you can understand why he might be doubtful. He's tried everything else. He says, if you can. If you can. And Jesus says, if you believe, all things are possible. Sometimes we might come to Christ. And sometimes, perhaps in the past, we have prayed similar prayers. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And we might pray this prayer because we've come to a point where we don't know if the impossible can be made possible. The situation is much bigger than you. You've been struggling with an illness or a disease for years. And perhaps nothing seems to work. Going through trial after trial after trial, testing of your faith over and over and over again, that you come to a point, can anything ever change? Can anything ever get better? Because of my faith has been tested time and time and time and time again. And when you come to Christ Jesus in similar fashion as this man did, Praying the same prayer, notice that Jesus does not cast a man off and tell him, come back to me when you have greater faith. He encourages him to believe. He says, all things are possible if you believe. This is a helpful category for us because it helps us understand that Jesus will not disregard us when we come to him believing, but still admitting that there is a measure of doubt in our belief. There is grace for every believer who struggles to imagine a different reality than the one they're currently living in. There is grace. And Jesus will always say, come. All things are possible if you believe. So I want to return us back to Lewis's statement. Again, he says, I'm not sure after all whether one of the causes of our weak faith is not a secret wish that our faith should not be very strong. Is there some reservation in our minds, some fear of what it might be like if our religion became quite real? Ask yourself, could that be true of you? Might there be a secret wish that your faith be not any stronger than it is now? But why? Why would we secretly desire that? Why would we be content where our faith is right now? 
Could it be because a stronger faith could lead you to make decisions that you don't want to make? Could a stronger faith lead you to perhaps let go of some things in your life that probably should be let go of? Could it mean that a stronger faith lead you to making some hard financial decisions? Could a stronger faith mean that you're having some difficult conversations that you don't really want to have? Could a stronger faith possibly put you in much more uncomfortable positions, perhaps in family or in the workplace? Could a more daring and bold and stronger faith mean that you're having more gospel conversations? If your faith became more real than it is right now, what would change? What do you think would change in your life? What would you do? Consider some of the missionaries we commissioned last year, Carlton's Ray, walking by faith, not knowing what the next step looks like, trusting in the Lord to open the right doors. And it's not that having it's not that having a stronger faith is going to lead to that those kind of decisions or that kind of way of life. Having a stronger faith could perhaps be leaving your place of comfort and familiarity to go someplace else, not having all the ducks in a row but just trusting in the Lord to open the right doors and provide every step of the way. Stronger faith has meant for some leaving school, leaving their home, transferring to a city they've never been to, living with a family they've never met, being discipled by a friend that they just met. Faith makes you do some really crazy things. (coughs) In the eyes of the world, it looks like utter foolishness. Surely, for Abraham, when he received the call of faith to leave his family, his comforts, his home, to leave his father's house, surely it looked like foolishness. But what looks foolish to the world is wisdom to God. The Lord does not want us to be content with our faith, especially if it's little faith but he desires for us to have a growing and stronger and vibrant faith. Yes, it might lead to some difficult decisions down the line. It might lead to difficult conversations. It might lead to letting go of some things or perhaps start doing some things. But the Lord is always faithful. And the Lord intends to provide and to abide with you through every step of the way if we are just willing to trust. 
way of conclusion, I want to leave you with some questions, some sort of diagnostic questions in considering and evaluating your own faith. I have like 12 or 13 questions. I don't have time to go through all 12 questions, especially because each one does, it deserves its own kind of elaboration. So if you are actually in the newsletter, I'm actually include these in the newsletter, all of them, for you to consider early this week. But here's some ones to consider. And I'm also kind of I'm feeling in my pastoral duty because I'm I'm doing a disservice to you because if we're if we kind of evaluate and consider ourselves to be of little faith, then the question is, well, how do then we do we grow in our faith? And I'll leave you with this. The answer to pursuing a growing faith is actually how you answer these, some of these questions. So, for example, one question to ask yourself is, what is your prayer life like? Faith or prayer is an exercise of faith. But if you're praying little, if you devote little time each week to prayer, once, twice a week, perhaps 10, 15 minutes, you probably have little faith. So the answer might be, you got to get on your knees and pray some more. Exercise your faith. Another question is, do you share the gospel? Now, part of this is opportunity, right? And we live in a time right now where most, a lot of people are working remotely. They don't see another person anymore besides themselves on a screen. I get that. For many of us, there's a reservedness. We're naturally shy or timid. I understand that as well. I'm in that category. But if our faith, what's stronger than it is right now, might we be more daring and having conversations about the gospel and bringing up the gospel and pursuing or making opportunities to share the gospel with others? Trusting that the Lord will give us the boldness and give us the words to say in those moments. Another question, do you have trouble trusting the promises of God? You know the promises. Perhaps you've even memorized some of the promises. You read the promises in the scriptures. You know them by heart, and yet you have trouble at times trusting in these promises. It might be you have little faith. And by the way, this isn't sort of, don't look at these questions and think, well, if I answer no or yes, you know, six out of the 12 times, it means that I failed. That's not the intent at all. You might have little faith in some areas, but very strong faith in some areas. Like, for example, you might have strong faith when it comes to the Lord's provision. You might not know how you'll make ends meet. You've trusted the Lord in the past. He's never let you down before. And so today in the present you have strong faith that the God, that God will always take care of you and provide for your needs. But in a different area, perhaps in the workplace, perhaps it's a situation there, perhaps it's a big situation that you have no control over and you become anxious about that and perhaps you might have little faith in that particular area. Little faith isn't consistent in every area of your life. There might be some places where you are stronger in your faith than others. 
the point is to self-examine and to know what are those areas in my life where I have little faith. Another question, one more question. How are you feeling about this year? It's election year. At the same time, it's war in Israel, war in Ukraine. Right? What's China going to do? Is something going to happen with Taiwan? Should we expect another virus to come hit us later this year? It's easy to be anxious about those things. I mean, one of the reasons why I'm, pers- I'm, I'm convinced that people pursue and gravitate towards conspiracy theories is because I think they're just afraid. They're afraid of what's happening. They're seeking to understand. They're seeking to make sense. And so they give themselves to all these things that are written out there, mostly not all of it fictional. Because naturally as human beings, we fear what we cannot understand. Are you anxious about the year? Are you anxious about things that may or may not happen in your own life? Are you anxious or fearful about how certain things happening right now in your own personal life and how they might end up? Might it be because you have little faith? The Lord wants us to trust Him. There is grace for every fear, for every anxiety. My prayer and hope for you and for myself is that we may continue to trust in the Lord and trust Him more this year than we did the previous year. That we might come before the throne of grace with bold and daring prayers, believing that all things are indeed possible with God. Does it mean that it will actually happen the way that you desire or the way that what you pray for? But if we grow in our faith, if we pursue a growing, a vibrant faith, trusting in the Lord through, all, through every step of the way, what might we see this year? What conversations might we have this year? How might the Lord provide this year? How might the Lord change things in our lives this year? The Lord seeks to grow each of us. Let us trust him. Let us put our confidence in our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Lord, we do not know what to pray for as we ought, or not always do we know how to pray for as we ought. But your word tells us that your spirit within us intercedes for us according to your will. Lord, so we pray that whatever the Spirit prays for as He intercedes for us, Lord, that You might make our prayers consistent with the Spirit's prayers for us. Help us to know and understand Your will. Help us to put our trust in You. God, and in those moments and in those seasons 
where we have trouble in our faith. May we, like this man prayed, say to you, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Show me your grace. Give me your strength. Provide, Lord, in the midst of what seems like impossible events or situations or scenarios. Lord, help us to believe against all hope. Increase and strengthen our faith this year, we pray in Jesus' name.